Good morning. I just really don't think there's a place I'd rather be than right here with all of y'all this morning. It's a, such a special time to get to come and be together, and I'm grateful you are all here. I've been starting each sermon by highlighting a ministry or something that happens at Oldham Lane, and today I want to talk a little bit about our college and careers group. Most of them are sitting back there in the back pretending like I can't see them, but I can, and I'm really grateful for this crew. You know, there's a lot of people that I feel like complain about how the church is just wasting away and we're losing the next generation, and I'm telling you we're not. I wish we were batting a thousand, and, and, and I know we're not, and we, that's, that's our goal, and we're going to continue to do better. But when I walk by the college and careers room, and I peek my head in, and I see the young people who are there, I am so encouraged. And they're not just there. They're involved in all of the things that we're doing, which tells me that, that they have integrated themselves into this body. They're not just an isolated group off to the side like in a lot of congregations. They're a functioning part of who we are. Young people, we are so grateful for you and what you do and the energy you bring to this place. Jim and Annie, we're grateful for you and the work that you do leading them. I'm looking over in Jim and Annie's normal spot, and I've lost them. There he is. I looked right past him. Jim, we're grateful for the work that you do with the College and Careers group. I'm so proud to be a part of a congregation that is so just diverse and pulling in the same direction despite all the different directions that we come from. We're in week four of a seven-week series, I Am Jesus, where we are looking at the I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, and we're unpacking them and seeing what we can learn about them. So I would love for you to open your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to read from there here in just a little bit. And while you're turning there, I'm going to start with kind of my opening illustration. It's a personal one, and for some of you this may not make sense, but for those of you who have been here a long time, or those of you who have watched me grown up, You'll, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. You see, I remember back when I was in high school going on a mission trip to Plattsburgh, New York. It was a, it was a pretty big deal, and I was pretty excited to go. James and Debbie, um, of course, were the, working with the youth at that, uh, at that point in time, and Larry Bell, my uncle, was one of the chaperones that went with us. And I remember their uh, blissful thinking as we sat in the airplane about to leave, and I don't think they knew what was about to hit them, because actually they didn't know what was about to hit them. They had been around me a lot. They should have known better than to take me to Canada and then into New York, because I was a wrecking ball. I mean, I was this little guy, but I thought I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. The week before, I had wrecked a go-kart, um, and so I had this like scab all up one side of my arm, and I looked pretty gnarly. And then the second we got there, I stepped on a piece of glass and I sliced my leg open, and, or the bottom of my foot open, and the missionary that we had gone to visit, his name was Rick, I think he went instantly into panic mode. We have this loose cannon over here named Blake, and he's running around, he's, he came injured, he's going to leave worse, if we don't assign someone to this kid, he's going to chase a football into the road and get run over, and it's going to be my fault. And so they assigned Larry on Blake duty for the rest of the trip. I didn't know it at the time, but I remember thinking how odd it was that my uncle was just so close to me everywhere that we went. But really what he was doing is he was watching out for me and being sure that I was kept safe. Some of us just need a little extra attention, don't we? I was one of those. Today we're going to talk about Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd. Okay? Sometimes there's some of us who need a little extra shepherding, who need a little extra measure of attention. 
So here we are in John chapter 10. If you'll remember from last week in John chapter 9, I told you a little bit about the context. Jesus had just healed the sight of a blind man. He'd been blind from birth, excuse me, and and Jesus had, uh, had, had created a salve from spit and mud, and he had put it in his eyes, and this man became, began to see. And the chief priests and the Pharisees were really upset about this situation. They were trying to figure out a way to explain this miracle away. They were threatened by the deity of Jesus. And so we see them go through these interactions with this man where they call in his parents and they call in the man and they're trying to explain away the miracle and no matter what they do, they can't seem to make it happen. So they cast him out of the synagogue and it's at that point that Jesus steps in and he has a conversation with this now healed man and then we see this extended metaphor unfold in John chapter 10. I believe it was probably primarily directed towards those religious leaders because it had some messages that they needed to hear. But also, we know that that healed man was sitting there listening, and and we learned something value by stepping in and hearing the conversation. Last week, I said verse 10 was the central verse, and I believe that still to be true. Last week, he walked us up to verse 10 and told us all about what it looked to have abundant life. And this week, we're going to start with abundant life, and we're going to walk away from it, and he's going to further expand on what it looks like. So I want to start by reading our text. We're going to start in John chapter 10, verse 1, and we're going to read the whole thing together so we remember where we came from and where we're going. John 10, 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. That he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So, Jesus says again, again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." I think verse 10 is the central verse. I already said this, but last week he led us up to it, and this week he starts with that, and his message just, uh, just flows so naturally from it. He came so that you can have life and have it abundantly. And to do that, you need a door, 
and to do that you need a shepherd. Last week, the metaphor of the door was a powerful one. The door makes it possible for us to go in and out between the protection of the sheepfold and the life-giving resources of the pasture where we graze. And for abundant life, we need to be able to exist in both places. In any attempt to enter or exit through a a passage other than the door is going to lead to damage and, and insecurity and a life of squalor, a life that isn't healthy both now nor in eternity. Jesus is the door, he says, but, but there is another important use for a door. Okay? That's where we find the shepherd. When uh, we used to live out in the country, we raised chickens for a while. We actually had quite a few chickens at one spell, um, not as many as some. We had, we had about 25 chickens, and uh, we got to notice that about every night, maybe every two or three nights, we would have one less chicken in the morning. This went on for quite a while before I got smart and realized our chickens had been trained to go to the coop, and that was the safe place. That's where we had raised them. But as I had started to let the chickens out to free range, I had kind of gotten lazy, and I had stopped shutting the door on the coop. It had seemed safe, and it didn't seem to matter. And all of a sudden, this place that the chickens thought was safe was no longer safe because the door wasn't protected. It gave them a a shroud of safety. It made them feel like they were doing something productive, but they might as well have been out in the open field, in the open field where there were also dangers that they needed protection from. Here's the point. Both the sheepfold and the pasture are full of risk if we don't have the watchful eye of the shepherd. Without the shepherd, without the shepherd, we have a false sense of security when we're in the sheepfold. And without the shepherd, the satisfaction and joy that we get from grazing in the pastures of life are just temporary and fleeting because there's dangers there as well. So we're going to walk back through verses 10 through 18, and we're going to look at how Jesus uses this complex metaphor of the shepherd to reveal some magnificent realities about how he interacts with us, his sheep. As we do so, I, I would really like for you to picture a staircase. You all have a picture of that in your mind. There's a ground level, and then on this staircase that you're imagining, I want you to imagine a landing part of the way up. And then you could picture another landing a little bit further up, and then finally a staircase reaches the top. So we have a staircase with two landings in the middle. Really what I see Jesus doing as he um, unfolds this metaphor is taking us up this staircase, ascending up this line of reasoning, and he's going to start at the very base level with talking about what it means to be good and how that contrasts with the thieves and the robbers. And then he's going to take us up to the next level. At the next landing, he's going to talk about what it means to be a sacrificial shepherd. And then he's going to talk about what it means to be a relational shepherd. And finally, he's going to end with what it means to be a powerful shepherd. So at its most basic level, starting at the ground, we see that he is the good shepherd. If we stepped back at the very beginning of the passage, we see that he started laying the groundwork for them to understand this. In verse 1, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. So there were thieves 
and robbers and strangers. And Jesus starts by making it clear that he is none of these. He is the good shepherd. And the way that we define good comes straight from our key verse. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. At the most foundational level, Jesus is the good shepherd because he sees the sheep and he wants good things for them. This is clearly evident when he's contrasted with the others. The others, the the thieves, they had come to steal and kill and destroy, but he came to give abundant life. This had just been shown and demonstrated in a very tangible way. In fact, I think it's worth us backing up and reading it from John chapter 9. I want to start reading in verse 26. What we're going to see is this last interaction with the man who was healed from his blindness, his interaction with the chief priest. In verse 26, it says, They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've, already, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for man, this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, "Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The Pharisees he was talking to, they were not pushing the people towards abundant life. They had just disfellowshipped a formerly blind man because he was miraculously healed. Their evidence was right there, glaring in front of them, and they were too blind to see it, too arrogant to see it, too stubborn to see it. They did not have the well-being of the sheep in mind as they navigated through the flock. In fact, they were using the flock for their own gain. Never since the world began has someone opened the eyes of a man born blind, he tells them. And what do they respond with? (laughs) They basically said, you arrogant, repulsive sinner, don't you know who we are? And then they shoo him on his way. Some sort of shepherds they were. It's comical It's laughable. It's embarrassing to look back and see what had just happened in contrast with what Jesus is teaching. Here they stand, claiming to have the good of the sheep in in mind, and they starkly contrast with the goodness of the shepherd who paused on the Sabbath day to care for one of his sheep. It's important for you to understand that Jesus is good. I think sometimes we develop this feeling where we think Jesus is holding us back from something, that he's keeping us from good things. 
And that's just not the case. Jesus doesn't withhold joy and pleasure from us. In fact, he is earnestly working for our good in ways that we might never see or understand. But things grow and and they get more amazing as he starts describing how fervently committed he is to his goodness. And so he takes up us, us up the stairs to the next landing and we see this. As he unpackages the metaphor further, he shows us how the shepherd is sacrificial. He's committed to the sheep to the point of giving his very life. Starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. What's the difference in the hired hand and the good shepherd? Well, the difference is what they are willing to give. The good shepherd has ownership of the sheep. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. The hired hand has limits. What would you give to your employer? Those of you who are retired, you can look back and think about what it used to have been like. What would you have given? My guess is for you, it was a math problem. Probably complex at times, but it was a math problem. Does your employer give you as much as the job is worth? Do you gain more or does your employer gain more? Is there any amount of pay that you would willingly give your life for? It's a question to ask ourselves. Some of you may know that prior to coming into ministry, I ran a scrap metal recycling yard with my brother. He still runs it to this day. It seemed like we were always hiring people. And one thing that we learned was this. You could not ask more of an employee than the job was paying. Or if you did, they weren't going to stick around for very long. The work had to match the pay. Now, there was one exception, and I bragged on her a little bit this morning because it was Lana. She was in early service, so I guess I'm talking about her behind her back now. But uh, Lana worked differently. Lana was, uh, Lana was ra- raised with a great work ethic. For those of you who don't know, Lana is married to my brother Chad. So she was my sister-in-law. And the poor thing had to work for me for like four years. So we know that she had a different level of commitment to the family business. But, but that was just it. She might have appeared to have been a hired hand. But the truth is, she had a vested interest in what we were doing there. She had a connection to that, to that business that was different than everyone else. She shared something special. She shared ownership. And that caused her to work differently. Jesus' point here is crystal clear for us today. The extent to which he was willing to go for the welfare of his sheep is amazing. He was willing to lay down his very life, the most precious human resource that we have. He put it on the line. Jesus is personally invested in your protection and your salvation You have to understand, God didn't farm the job out to someone else. God sent His Son. God sent His Son to give you the protection that you need, and He was willing in the act of doing that to give up everything. And then we see Him take the metaphor to the next level. So we walk up the flight of stairs, and we find ourselves at the next landing, and we see that the shepherd is relational. See, I mentioned last week about the sheepfold. Um, how the shepherd would bring all of their sheep in the evening into this common area, and often there would be multiple flocks commingled in this one, um, one fence of protection. 
In the morning when it was time to leave, they didn't run them through some sort of a shooting, uh, a sorting chute. They didn't have brands on the sheep that marked whose was whose. They simply gave their call and the sheep would hear their voice and the sheep would go to them. Verses 3 through 5, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When, he's brought, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. You see, Jesus had a special relationship with the sheep. And they were drawn to his voice, and they wanted to be with him. You know, commercial animal handling is a little bit different today. We don't spend as much time with the animals, so when it's time to make them go somewhere, we either have to chase them there or we lure them in with a bucket of food. I feel like I've loaded a lot of stock trailers with a bucket of feed. Um, the shepherds, on the other hand, could speak, and the sheep would follow them. Notice in verse 3, he says that he calls his sheep by name. They have names, and he knows them. Jesus wants to be sure you don't miss this because he brings it up again in verse 14. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and, and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. He knows and is known not only is he personally invested in the flock as a whole, he is personally invested with the individual sheep. And he claims that his relationship with the sheep is on par with the relationship that he has with the father. The connection of a father and son is strong, just like a hired hand. I wouldn't lay down my life for a job, but for my son, oh, for my son, that's a different story. This is the connection and commitment that Jesus has for his sheep. And that's what Jesus has for you. As a non-Jewish person, you are uh, one of the sheep not previously of the fold. But through Christ, you've been brought in and called by name and known by God and given access to abundant life. You see, we don't just have a relationship here with one another. That's important, and it's valuable. We have a relationship with the creator of the universe, a loving, sacrificial, good relationship. He knows your name. If level three was powerful, then the final one is even more so. Because I think in the final step, we get where we're going. Because as we finally summit this staircase, we learn that the shepherd is powerful. Jesus cared and knew for the people. We've established that. Jesus, sorry, Jesus cared for the people. Jesus also knew the people. We've established both of those. Jesus even was willing to give his life for the people. Um, the other day, Edie Connell was uh, gracious enough to let me go through some of Bob's books and, and get some of his books, and I appreciate that. And a little gem I found was this one, Fox's Book of Martyrs. I was actually pretty excited to find this one. I've read some of the excerpts. I hadn't read the whole thing, and so to get to have it, it was really special. Fox's Book of Martyrs is a long book that just tells the stories of people who have given their lives for their faith. It's actually some pretty amazing stories in here, and there's a lot of them. A lot of people over the years have 
cared for the church. A lot of people over the years have known the people of the church, and there's a whole book written, and I'm sure there would be thousands of more books if we can name all of the names of people who have given their life for the truth, for God's people. So what makes the list of people in this book different from Jesus? What sets Jesus apart from them? And this is where we get to the final level of his escalating metaphor. The supremacy of his power is manifested in two realities. Let's read in verse 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So first of all, we note this. Jesus chooses when to lay his life down. He says, no one takes it from me. I have authority. It wasn't like God was scrambling in the moment to figure things out. I think sometimes we see the interplay between good and evil in Scripture and we think it's like a big sporting event where two teams are pitted against one another and the coaches on both teams are watching the other and they've seen film and they're working the best strategy to overcome and in the end we're lucky because we're on the winning team because we're on God's side. But that's not how the scene unfolds at all. That's not what Jesus paints here. That's not the picture he paints. The Pharisees here, they weren't in charge. It wasn't like they were about to force his hand into doing something he wasn't ready for. They might have felt like they were in power, but they were not in power at all. I think this was a direct slam on the Pharisees who were challenging him, and he was saying, hey, you need to be careful because you don't know who you're messing with. You need to watch out because I am powerful, and nothing happens without me giving approval to it. I am powerful, and I'm going to choose how this is going to go. And if that wasn't enough, he says that he can take his life back up when he chooses as well. You know, if the good shepherd had given his life for the sheep, then he would have made a great sacrifice, but he would have been done. But now we see the resurrection enters the picture. God has given him the authority to raise from the dead. He's going to do this. It changes everything. You know, it can be easy to feel like God sent a shepherd because we needed to be protected from things outside of his control, the thieves and the robbers and the dangers in the pasture. And I honestly think that this is the point in our text. This is the point in Jesus' metaphor when it breaks away from the realities of shepherding that they knew. Here Jesus is telling them something different. This is a different type of shepherding relationship than you have ever experienced. Every shepherd they had ever known was sent to protect the sheep from an unknown foe who would arrive at an unknown time and use an undisclosed amount of force. So they had to show up and they had to always be ready, but they didn't know what was around the corner. But here Jesus breaks from the norm and he makes a bold claim. He says, I'm a different type of shepherd because I am going to decide when the ultimate sacrifice is made. I'm going to do it voluntarily. I have full authority to decide. And when I get ready, I have full authority to take my life back up. Jesus would not be defeated by the foe when he was killed. For a brief moment, it might look like this had happened. For a brief moment, they thought this had happened. But the reality was this. Jesus had chosen to lay his life down. And three days after he was crucified, 
he would choose to bring it back. The good shepherd is powerful. So as we wrap up, I want to walk us backwards through the text. Jesus is all-powerful, yet he knows you. Jesus knows you, yet he gave his life for you. And Jesus gave his life for you because he is good in every deepest nuance of the term, ultimate goodness. He is the standard. He is the good shepherd, and this means that your life as a relatively powerless sheep can be abundant and peaceful and safe. And now you see we've ended up right where we ended last week, with abundant life. But I hope you see it more clearly. Church, there is nothing that can overcome the watchful eye of the all-powerful shepherd. There is nothing that can separate him from the sheep that he knows by name. And there is nothing that he wouldn't do to save his sheep. We are so blessed to be daily cared for by the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. So here's my question to you. What are you doing and who are you following and how are you living? You know, Jesus has claimed so many things so far. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of life. I'm the door to abundant life. I'm the good shepherd that makes all of this possible. Church, Jesus has offered to fill us, to illuminate the way and show us peace, to provide passage to the things that we need to protect us and nurture us and give his life for us and raise himself from the dead so that we would never have to experience death like that. That's the Jesus we serve. And if you are even glancing a different way, let me encourage you in this. It is not worth it. Oh, the blessings we have in Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. Everything you could ever hope or dream for is there in Him. There in Christ, available to those who would believe in Him, those who would follow Him, those who would join the flock. You know, in Acts, we see the floodgates open to the world. And there's this invite that goes out for everyone to join themselves with Christ, regardless of their background. This message was echoed out to all of humanity, and we see when they hear and when they believe, they change their allegiance and they turn to Christ and they're baptized into His name. Well, we stand ready today to baptize any of you who believe in Jesus and make this your new reality as well. We stand ready to study if you would like to know more. We stand ready to pray for you if you need the encouragement and uh, support of the rest of the flock. We stand ready, whatever your need might be. The invitation is yours. We invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.